Hello, everyone, and we're in for the first episode of the Stanley Kubrick full review. Um, Stanley Kubrick's my favorite director, so I decided um, I'm going to 100% his filmography, and I'm going to talk to you guys about it. Now, we've got a lot lined up for this series, um, and I decided I'm going to kick us off with a bang with two of my favorites of his that I have a lot to talk about with them. I'm going to be talking about Eyes Wide Shut and A Clockwork Orange. Now, Clockwork Orange is my third favorite Kubrick, as it screams Kubrick on so many levels. And it's a movie that stays with you, both good and bad, in its haunting ways and in its ways that will have you mesmerized. Um, so this is going to be our start. I'm going to basically tell you the plot and the tagline, and I'm going to get into talking about the movie as a whole. Um, So your tagline for this movie is, Being the adventures of a young man whose principal interests are rape, ultraviolence, and Beethoven. Um, Let me restate that. Being the adventures of a young man whose principal interests are rape, a bit of the old ultraviolence, and Ludwig van... Um, Now, uh, spoiler warning for the rest of the episode, Uh, but if you haven't seen these movies already, um, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, Now, if you were to just read that, likely you'd think uh, either this movie's going to be horrible, um, and it's going to be a movie for the shock factor, or you're going to be interested by it for that quote-unquote shock factor, Um, but it sounds like that's all it's kicking at. Um, but it's quite the opposite. Now, um, if you do any research into this movie before you watch it, you're gonna come across things like this movie had an X rating and they had to cut off 30 seconds of straight sexual content, um, and you'd think, oh, this really is gonna be your human centipedes of the world, your shock factor movies, your terrifiers. Um, but this movie is way more than that. This movie's a political commentary on many levels on society as a whole, um, and, like, the justice system, and the concept of not being able to change oneself. Um, now, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the plot here. I'm gonna read you the letterboxed description of your plot. You have, in a near-future Britain, young Alexander DeLarge and his pals get kicks, beating, and raping anyone they please. When not destroying the lives of others, Alex swoons to the music of Beethoven. The state, eager to crack down on juvenile crime, gives an incarcerated Alex the option to undergo an invasive procedure, um, which is called the, um... Oh, what's it called? Ah, I had written it down. Um, it's some kind of treatment. It's called the Ludovico treatment. Um, that'll rob him of all personal agency. In a time when conscience is a com- conscience is a commodity, can Alex change his tune? Now. That might get you a little more interested. Um, directed by Stanley Kubrick, obviously. Um, with Malcolm McDowell as your lead actor, who, might I add, is absolutely brilliant in this movie. Um, and if you know him from Easy A, you might doubt that, but I'm telling you, it's good. <laughs> um, key thing I want to point out here, the real mesmerizing factor, um, besides the acting, is your cinematography. They can make anything in this movie look absolutely stunning. Um, And I read a review that said, um, Let's go drink some milk and commit unspeakable crimes the movie. Uh, I mean, yeah, kind of. Now, the Clockwork Orange opening scene... Um, is undoubtedly one of the most intriguing opening scenes ever. Let me just read it to you. There was me, that is Alex, and my three droogs, that is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. Oh no, I gotta do the accent with it, hold on. 
there was me. That is Alex and my three droogies. That is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Karova milk bar, trying to make up our Razudox what to do with the evening. The Karova milk bar sold milk plus. Milk plus Velocet and Synthemesque or Drencom. I don't know how to pronounce that. Which is what we are drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence. Now, <laughs> this, um, when you read it out, doesn't sound as amazing as it is. Now, if I could, I would play it um, for you. But I don't know how much trouble I'd get for that. Eh, who cares? Um, I have to skip past the opening music part, though. Can I do that? I gotta get to the part where he's talking. Come on. Now, it's a crazy, crazy opening because no one had really seen anything like it at the time. Man, I can't find it. Now, I tried to do the best I can. I would prefer to let you hear it yourself. <laughs> because it's it's crazy here you go I'll let you hear this soon it's me that is Alex and my three droogs that is Pete Georgie and Dim and we sat in the Karova milk bar, trying to make up our Razudoks what to do with the evening. The Karova milk bar sold Milk Plus. Milk Plus Velocet, or Synthemesque, or Drencrum, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence. So, as you hear, um... My attempt at the accent was not very good, is what you probably made of that first. But what you made of that next is how ominous and amazing Malcolm McDowell narrates your opening scene. So, yeah, there's a lot more to this movie than I'm going to get into now. But, essentially, there's your general basis. So, the Ludovico thing I want to kind of talk about to start... <clears throat> The Ludovico technique, uh, which probably sparked your interest out of that whole thing, they basically hold his eyes open, and they hold Alex's eyes open, put him in a straitjacket, sit him down in a chair, and play his favorite song while making him watch videos of, like, the Adolf, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say his last name, am I? Eh, screw it, why not? Adol uh, making him watch videos of what Hitler did to people. Um, making him watch videos of people raping each other, uh, and watch videos of murder, um, and the way they did it made him feel sick to his stomach, because they were doing things that bothered him, um, by playing, I think, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony while making him watch such awful things, um, and... The way uh, they show it, they don't show you all of it, what they're showing, um, but whatever it is on that screen is really, really making him realize what he's doing and how awful it is. Um, and the fact that they sicken him with it tr attempts to change who he is. It, it's an attempt to change his morals. Um, but you can't really do that. You can't change someone that heavily, and even though it could be possible, it goes against the laws of, um, you know, God, if you will. God makes everyone the way they are, and there are awful people in this world. There are your serial killers of the world, but, um, even though there are these awful people, it is not always going to be possible to get rid of all of them. And it's the unfortunate truth of our world that 
there is going to be bad people. Um, and this very, it touches, touches upon it in a way, um, and, and Malcolm McDowell said in an interview himself, I had to make such an awful person likable for the movie. Um, if you watched the Kubrick by Kubrick documentary, I believe it was. No, that wasn't in Kubrick by Kubrick. That was in A Forbidden Orange, another documentary. <coughs> um, yeah, but he, he needed to make it likable. And even though it's disgusting, there is a likable le- factor about Alex as a character. But the reason I said mesmerizing so much is because the cinematography's great, um, but there's one scene that stood out to me. Um, one scene in particular that I found to be particularly haunting, almost, while also being almost interesting to watch in a way here i'm gonna let you guys take a listen again um yeah so have at it now yes that scene does go on if i'm not mistaken um, I don't know, I can't find the full scene, that's all I've really got here, but, there is more to it, if I'm not mistaken, oh, wait, is this it? Is this it? I think I might have found it, hold on, we're trying this again, we're trying this again. Yes, who is it? Alright, here we go, here we go, we're going at it again. There we go. Okay. Now, if I could explain that to the best of my ability, what was going on there, I will, um, and I'm going to make an attempt at it. So, um, as he walks in, they beat um, an older guy senseless, and they, like, knock him down the stairs, and now he's laying on the floor. So, one of his, quote-unquote, droogies, then, um, pins him down and holds him down, right? So, then he holds this lady, uh, one of his other droogies, holds a lady um, in a red dress up, Right? So then he hold. So Alex, your protagonist, antagonist, whoever you want to call him, uh, then proceeds to say, "I'm singing in the rain," and then you hear a "ooh," um, which is him kicking the older man, being pinned down on the floor, just singing in the rain, and then he hits um the lady with the stick. What a glorious feeling. And then, what a glorious feeling. He puts his stick um, in between the upper thighs of the droogie holding the red dress lady. I'm happy again. He puts a, um, a bouncy ball uh, in the red dress lady's mouth um, so she can't talk. I'm laughing at clouds. He then pulls the tape. Uh to presumably tape this ball into her mouth so she's unable to scream. So dark, up above. So now she st- he starts taping her mouth. Uh, so heart and I'm ready for love. Now he's done um, taping her mouth shut. I don't know why I stumbled over the words there. Um, yeah, the sun's in my heart and I'm ready for love. Uh, and then he t- finish ta- finishes taping her mouth and then slaps her in the face. 
let the stormy clouds chase, uh, kick to the stomach of the older guy, everyone from the place, another kick to the guy, but this time it's two kicks, um, I'm on with the rain, got a smile on my face, he puts a ball in the older man's mouth and one of his droogies tapes that ball into his mouth, I'll walk down the lane, he jumps up onto one of their tables, With a happy refrain, I believe the lyric is. Um, and he starts kicking stuff off the tables. And I'm singing, and then he pushes the table over. Just singing! And then he pushes down one of their bookshelves just to cause destruction. A bit of the old ultraviolence. In the rain, doopy doop, dooby 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 doop, dooby dooby. So then they put down Droogie Lady, they put down a uh, red dress lady, um, and they make older guy watch, as then they proceed to hold red dress lady's arms behind her back and restrain her from movement, and then they proceed to cut her dress open, reveal her in the full nude, um, and commit an act of ultra-violence upon her while the husband watches. Now this is traumatizing for the husband um as he watches alex repay the wife he watches alex this youngin this hooligan with a um pinocchio style mask i guess uh rape his wife um and then it just keeps going it just keeps on a kicking um so yeah uh and then there's more acts of ultraviolence. One more that I might mention. Uh, <laughs> is when he breaks into another person's house. Um, and proceeds to attack a woman. With a uh, giant statue of a... <coughs> of a schlong. Can I say that? I think I can say that. Um, you got more weird scenes of this movie. Um, like when he goes into a record store and people are eating, uh, like, popsicle style of things. Um, but these popsicles are, um, they're shaped like, uh, how can I say this without seeming, like, vulgar? Genitalia. That's a nice word, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, other scenes that involve violence, because there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Uh, a lot of these scenes involve them wearing that giant funny nose mask thing. Um, there's a scene where another gang starts um, committing an act of ultra-violence to a woman on stage. Um, and then your gang of Alex and his droogies walk in, then they stop raping the lady, um, and they get in a huge gang fight, which was uh, actually a pretty cool scene. Um, there's another scene I really like, where they, they walk down, uh, like a path by the lake, and he's talking. Um, and then they're walking, and then they just start beating each other senseless. Like, they're hitting each other in the groin. They're kicking each other. And then Alex reaches out to grab one of them out of the water. He cuts to a shot of a guy with, like, a black eye walking away, kind of looking confused. He grabs Alex's hand. And then, to his surprise, Alex gives him a nice little slicey slice on the top of his hand. Now... This scene is extremely iconic, and you can find it all over the internet, um, but man, is it an awesome-looking scene, visually. Everything about this movie is visually stunning. Um, the way they get the Milk Plus, um, is something interesting. They click a button, and it, uh, releases milk out of a statue's bosom <laughs> I'm trying to see words and see if I'm able to say them because <laughs> I'm having trouble here because <laughs> it's not really a an appropriate 
movie to discuss um, with monetization and whatnot. Another favorite scene of mine. Um, <laughs> try the wine. I'm trying to see if I can get the voice down. I'm trying to think of the voice. <coughs> oh my god, my bad. I have to think about that voice. Because this older guy. Try the wine. Hold on. Wait, I'm listening to it now. Try the wine. <laughs> there you hear it. You tell me if my impression's any good. You tell me if my impression's any good. Try the wine. Try the wine. That's the best you're gonna get out of me. I'm trying to find scenes that don't involve any um any music that I'm able to like discuss. There's um a scene where a guy's talking, and he drinks water out of a cup, but there's dentures in the cup. <laughs> weird, weird scene. Um, man, there's one scene where they play Beethoven's Ninth Symphony uh, to torture Alex, and then he ends up throwing himself out the window. Um, well, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony becomes something of... Like, an importance to the movie. Um, if you don't know Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, I'll catch you up on it really quick with it playing in the background as I talk. Um, Beethoven's Ninth is a very important song to the movie. Now, they play this during um, one of the Ludovico scenes um and they show this um they have this playing while uh they show him videos of awful awful things um and since he loves this song so much they basically conditioned this song with things bad um but then it correlates Beethoven things bad, and then that eventually loops back to all music things bad. And in this supposed dystopian England, music is a huge thing. Um, and if he associate, if he associates now sex, violence, and um, music with horrible, horrible memories. It eventually starts to drive him insane, and then when they lock him in that, when, um, try the wine, um, guy, which was also the husband that they made watch, um, the rape scene, uh, he locks him in a room and makes him listen to this while being unable to listen to anything else, and then eventually it drives him completely insane. So, they throw himself out the window, and then they bring him to the hospital, and... Presumably, whatever they do, they cure him. Get him back to his violent ways, and it ends with a scene of him committing an act of ultra-violence. Which is almost a satisfying ending in a really, really disturbing sense of the word. So, a few more things I wanted to touch on. Um, after the, um, after he gets out and he's a fixed man... A gang of homeless people beat him up. And then Dim and Georgie, his dreams, um, become cops while he's And then when he gets out, he's walking down the road and he's beaten up. Cops come in and it's Dim and Georgie. And then they bring him into the woods and he's this defenseless man. There's all violence he associates with horrible things. And they waterboard him. And he crawls and crawls and crawls, now beat up completely. And that's how he ends up back at the house with the, uh, the husband, and presumably a muscle man that the husband is with. I don't know. Now this book, uh, no, this movie is based off of a 1962 novel. And Kubrick was a big, big reader. He was big into reading. Um, they say that his two pastimes were reading and playing chess. Very intelligent man. 
You got other scenes in this movie that are extremely, extremely iconic. Um, like your, uh, your war for, uh, your, your, uh, oh my god, why can't I think right now? The scene where they're driving the car, and they're all in there. Um, Beethoven now. Uh, they're driving in the car, and they're driving, and they're all sitting in there, and they're all, like, screaming and being all rowdy. That scene's super iconic. Um, a couple more scenes are really iconic, but I think I already touched on them, if I'm not mistaken. Or, no, no, no. There's one more. Um, there's a couple of scenes where Alex is dreaming about being in, like, a prehistoric era. Uh, they're pretty funny. Um, in one of them, he's eating grapes, uh, next to two topless people of the female sex, <laughs> and, um, in one of them, he's, like, fighting in, like, a revolutionary war setting with, like, a sword, um, which was really a beautiful, beautiful scene, um, kind of, kind of a change of pace from the rest of the movie, those little scenes, but they're little snippets, so they fit in very nicely and show you Alex's, what's going on inside his head. Um, there was also, uh, I talked about A Forbidden Orange a little earlier on, documentary on HBO Max. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I really did, so I'm gonna talk about it a little bit. There was a war, like, yeah, you saw, if you've seen the Tetris movie on Apple TV, it's really good, um, but if you haven't, um, there's sometimes wars for media to be shown and to be dispersed. Dispensed? Dispersed? I don't know. Now, there was a dictatorship going on in Spain, uh, for at the time that this came out, at least certain areas of Spain, um, and they had this absolute war. It took like four years to get Kubrick to agree to show this movie, to be allowed to show this movie at all, um, in this small town called Valladolid. I think it is Valladolid. I don't know. It's spelt Villadolid if you want to Google it. I don't know how you pronounce it. They said it a lot in the movie, but they said it, um, in the middle of Spanish subtitles, so you can't really pay attention to how they're phrasing it, but Valladolid, I believe it is. And they got to show it at a film festival, and it shocked everyone to their core, um, because of the violence and stuff that they'd never seen before, because it was so difficult to allow them to show it, um, because it was very, very controversial at the time. Um, and the movie ended with, well, the documentary ended, technically with a shot of Malcolm McDowell re-singing, singing in the rain, but a little bit before that, like, towards the end of the, um, documentary, they show a group of, like, older teenagers the movie, and ask them for their opinion on if it could be shown now or not. <coughs> now, regardless of the fact that people watch this movie all the time, their reaction was insane to me because they they showed it to a group of older people and a group of younger people and they compared the two the younger people were like no this movie's disgusting this movie's horrible this movie's nothing but violence um they didn't understand it i suppose um, they didn't understand the commentary of it this movie's disgusting this movie has rape this movie has Murder. Um. No, it's an undeniably a good movie, they say. And then they just diss it straight. Um. But. The older folks were like, no, this movie's amazing. This movie's an art form. This movie should be shown to everyone once they reach a certain age. This movie is absolutely mind boggling. This movie's m marvelous. I was trying to find a word. This movie's stunning. I think I already said that. <laughs> but, yeah. So that comparison was insane to me. Um, yeah, come on, loosen up, everybody. You gotta allow more to just fly now. If it's representing something that needs to be shown to the world, and it has a deeper meaning than just, ooh, let's have people rape people, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> shock factor um then I believe it has a reason to be shown 
And I believe Clockwork Orange has such an impactful theme to it that it deserves to be shown to everyone. I think that's enough Clockwork Orange for right now. I say we move on to um, Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. Um, <coughs> like it or not, it's definitely a movie. I'm going to have this playing in the background because you got your theme here. Um, yeah, I think this is it, right? I'm trying to find the song. There was a good one that they played at some point. Is this it? No. Come on. Yeah, this is it. So. <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut is um, a movie that is totally not for everyone. And I understand that. Um, I'm going to have to dig deep into the notebook for this one. This is Kubrick's last movie. Right. So this is Kubrick's passion project. Some would say. Now it has this nice opening music. Which totally sets you up in the wrong direction. <coughs> now, this is a movie featuring the guy from Top Gun and the lady from the opening AMC ad. Uh, and it's a Christmas movie. Not one for the youngins, though. This is no Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, this is a movie about... Unfaithful? Is that the word? Is it infaithful? Unfaithful. Unfaithfulness and sex addiction. Um, now this movie, deep in its core, is far from just a sex addict movie. So I'm going to read you my letterboxed review, because um, I think that it explains a lot. Now, first, let me quickly, I'm an idiot, let me read you my, your, uh, your tagline. <clears throat> Cruz Kidman Kubrick, that's it. That's their tagline that they have up for this movie. Um, so, <laughs> let me read you the actual plot here. After... Dr. Bill Harford's wife, Alice, admits to having sexual fantasies about a man she met. Bill becomes obsessed with having a sexual encounter. He discovers an underground sexual group and attends one of their meetings and quickly discovers he's in over his head. Sexual is used a lot in that plot, but I'll tell you, it's not as bad as they make it up to sound. Really. Eh, more or less. <clears throat> My letterboxed review says it all. God, this movie is good tragedy tale of a husband and wife pulled apart by unfaithfulness and sex addiction. In its deep core, it's even more about a couple frustrated with their current status of love. Alice likely made up the whole naval officer thing to get back at him for being with those models at the opening. Not saying the party really happened, but who knows, society is weird. If it did happen, it's likely really from Bill trying to get back at Alice for said made-up naval officer story. The rest, God knows. It all means something, but that's what I got on my first watch. Doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I still don't know everything about Bo's Afraid, and I still loved that movie with my whole heart. The acting was great, the ending was amazing, the score was masterful, there was WTF moments. Yet everything is pulled together so nicely. This film at its core is an incredible, awe-inspiring mystery. The whole thing is a jigsaw puzzle of film that you, the viewer, have to figure out. The password being the Latin word for faithful, which I believe was fidelio, and many more things I'll leave you to find on your own and make the, the, and many more things that I'll leave you to find on your own make this what it is. As Kubrick's last hurrah, everything feels right to a T just as he would have liked. This film does everything so right and it's honestly beautiful. I love this movie so much. There's probably more I didn't pick up on and I'll have to leave that to a rewatch. 96.5 out of 100. Also, um, Clockwork Orange was 98.5, I believe. Now, Eyes Wide Shut, um, like I said, uh, is a movie about a couple frustrated with their current love status. Now, um... I'm going to have to break this down a lot better now. 
So, the movie starts with these uh, two people at a party, which is Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And one thing leads to another, yada, yada, yada. Tom Cruise ends up with two models. They're just walking around. Now, there's no intent by it. Um, yet, uh, Nicole Kidman seems to take offense to it. So, they get stoned back at home. And she admits to, uh, seeing a guy at a lobby of the hotel they were at. And she admits to, quote-unquote, sleeping with him. Now, yeah, no, all these Kubrick movies have something to do with, uh, sex. <laughs> now, um, we don't ever really go this deep into this storyline, but it does come up quite a lot. Now, the guy was a naval officer, as I said. But realistically, in the end of the day, she probably made this whole thing up to get back at him for being with those models. Now, she didn't really seem to think anything of it. But then he goes out and attempts to uh, uh, get revenge on her. He ends up like going like, with a prostitute. Da, da, da. One thing leads to another, he ends up at like a cafe, which Stanley Kubrick actually plays one of the people the same. Um, he ends up in this cafe and he talks to uh, the piano player playing the jazz music at the cafe, an old friend. And he says, I play the music at this party, but I could not for the life of you tell for the life of me tell you what it's like. Because they make me play blindfold. Blindfolded. Whoa, that's crazy. <coughs> and they said one day though, they they forgot to put the blindfold on correctly. And whoa, the ladies were fabulous. Cause um guys, I guess, right? So then he decides, hey, I'm gonna do this. But everyone at the party has to wear a specific outfit. It's a cloak and a mask. So he decides, hey, I'll go and I'll see what this is all about. Because if the ladies are so fabulous, maybe I can get back at my wife for cheating on me. So he goes to this party. And it ends up being a lot more than he bargained for. Uh, if you saw Babylon, there's a scene in Babylon where Tobey Maguire takes um, Manny, I think his name is, to uh, this underground place where all these people are. It's a big... um. All these people are, uh, like, sleeping with each other at all. There's, like, weird, uh, mutant people that would be at, like, your standard sideshow. And all these people are having sex. And it's, like, a really weird, bizarre scene. Because everything has a red tint. You can't really see everything. And it's really bizarre. Um, but that's what Eyes Wide Shut is. A really long version of that Babylon scene. Or at least the party scene is. And it is the weirdest thing ever. It's like people in purge masks. And this guy walking around ringing like a bell. But it's like lit on fire. And he's swinging it around. And there are like these naked people all over the place. And it's like a big audience of people watching. And there's one guy with like a weird square mask. And then all of a sudden. <laughs> this like naked lady just walks up behind him. And she's like wearing like a peacock half peacock outfit and she's like you better leave you're in over your head this time and he's like no i must see what's going on and she's like okay you didn't listen that's your problem um and then he looks around a little more and it starts to get really crazy and they ask him for the second password for the password and he's like fidelia and that's like the password and like, that's the password for entry now what's the password for the house and then he gets real confused all right uh, and he doesn't know it. He says, oh, honestly, sir, I forgot. Now, then it goes further than that, right? Now it goes from your, uh, your standard. Okay, um, now what's going on? Like, your standard, okay, you're following to, whoa, there's a second password? What in the world could this be? No, they don't really know. You're, you're, you're locked in, you're, whoa, what's the second password? I didn't know there was a second password. As the viewer, you're confused. You're trying to solve what's going on. Um, if you were smart enough to pick on the Fidelio thing, pick up on the Fidelio thing, you thought it would be something involving a relationship and someone would swoop in and save him. But no, no, he says, I forgot. They say, well, whether you forgot or never knew at all. And then a uh, big half-naked lady uh, shows up on the balcony and says, 
I will sacrifice myself for thee, or something like that. He's like, oh, you know what you're doing to yourself by doing this for him? And she's like, yes, I understand. So then he goes home, and he was saved. And he's really confused and messed up about the whole thing, because he saw some stuff he's never going to unsee, right? And he goes home. And then his wife wakes up, and she's, like, she's like laughing in her sleep, which, I don't know, for some reason, when Nicole Kidman laughs in this movie, it involves fear. And then she explains that in her dream, she was at a party in, like, a dystopian world. Um, and there was all these people having sexual encounters. Hundreds of people. Now you get suspicious. Whoa, that's a really weird thing for her to be dreaming about, that he was just actually there. Um, and then it kind of makes you believe, almost, that she was that half-naked lady, right? Now, I guess, never in the movie they explicitly say that, but later on, towards the very end of the movie, you have uh, a scene where she's laying in bed next to a mask, uh, and it really leads you to think that she was that lady, but it, it ends up that she wasn't that lady. Well, they never said she was, and I just didn't pick up on a small clue that said that she was. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. I tend to be wrong. <coughs> but, yeah. So, she says that, and then it all ends up in, like, a really frantic thing. He meets, like, a lady, then she gets diagnosed with HIV, and it just ends up going completely insane. Everything's off the rocker. Everything's completely bonkers, right? And everything about this movie is very unnerving. Everything's very eerie, right? The use of point of view is incredible in this movie. Um, one lady ends up ODing, uh, towards the very beginning of the movie at that opening party, um, and they say, and I quote, it was just some heroin and coke. What? I, I don't know if that was supposed to be a joke or something, but whatever it is, I don't know. There's just some things that don't seem right through the whole thing. One thing I want to point out is how much Tom Cruise looks like Michael J. Fox in this movie. Now, shout out to Michael J. Fox, because the day this episode is released, Michael J. Fox gets his own movie called Still on Apple TV, which I will be watching, yes. But there's something very off about this movie the whole time, and it almost has a dreamlike attitude to it, right? Um, I don't know. There's a lot to be unpacked here. Um, so I don't know. There's just so much going on constantly, and I can't say enough to describe how insane this movie is. And it's a beautifully crafted film with a beautiful mystery at its core. And like I said in my review, it is a puzzle for you as the viewer to unsolve so realistically I would say just watch it if you have already um and there's something I missed let me know somehow let me know that I missed something and I'll talk about it in the next episode of the podcast um I'll touch back on this um but this movie oozes of Kubrick you could tell he was very passionate because he knew this was going to be his final movie. They f they had this movie in the works for five years. They worked on this movie. They filmed for a long time. It was something like 17 months straight of filming. <coughs> and once Kubrick died, um, they weren't finished working on the movie. And Tom Cruise put up the biggest fight ever to have it exactly how Kubrick would have wanted and I really respect that. Um, so respect to Tom for, and I thank you, Tom, for having this movie made the way it was. Um, there's a scene where Tom walks down the sidewalk, or Bill walks down the sidewalk, and he like, claps his hands. You'll see that one a lot on TikTok when you're looking at, like, top five movies 
You'll see that as like the opening when they're like introducing the beat drop of the song. For them to actually start listing off the movies, it'll be like, the, like claps his hands and he's walking like angrily in like this big coat. <laughs> but yeah, like early on in the movie, you'll see that unfaithfulness is your theme. Or as I took notes throughout the movie, I wrote down and I quote, "Unfaithfulness looks like our theme, ladies and gents." Um, and it is. So I hit the nail on the head in the first 15 minutes of the movie. But yeah, no, this is an absolute masterclass of a movie. It does everything so right. Um, even when things about the movie are morally so wrong, um, it does a lot of things so right. And I respect this movie endlessly. I respect Kubrick endlessly, which is why I'm doing this series. Um, I'm trying to reach out to some folks for uh, special guesting, because I think that would be cool. To have some people talk about their experience with Kubrick as a director. I feel like there's a Kubrick movie for everyone. I recommended Barry Lyndon to someone today. Uh, I'll wait for them to get back to me on that. <laughs> but yeah, both of these are absolutely fantastic movies. Um, and I can't recommend it enough. So if you haven't, uh, and I'm sorry if I spoiled it and you haven't seen them yet. Clockwork Orange... And, um, Eyes Wide Shut are absolutely fabulous films. And when I tell you, please, watch them. Watch Kubrick by Kubrick, the documentary. Watch Forbidden Orange. Um, watch 2001 Making a Myth as well. Watch all of them. Uh, because they're all amazing documentaries. Um, and I'll try and get as much of the info in them as possible. So I'm going to do a quick unfold uh, for the documentary section. Um, as far as Clockwork Orange and stuff go. Now, Forbidden Orange I talked about uh, in the Clockwork Orange section. But if I'm not mistaken, I took notes for Kubrick by Kubrick pretty early on. Because I watched Kubrick by Kubrick before a couple of things. Um, man, my notebook is jam-packed. So, uh, Kubrick died at age 70. Um, it took five years to get Eyes Wide Shut made. Um, there's some stuff for, um, Barry Lyndon, some more stuff. A lot of people tend to call, um, Kubrick the Frank Sinatra of his craft. Because he did it what, he did what he wanted, when he wanted it, how he wanted it done. And I respect that endlessly. Um, Kubrick was a very modest guy in interviews. He tended to talk about the interviewee over his movies, which I thought was really cool. That's Spartacus... Kubrick was a photographer before he was a director, which is why you'll often see a lot of cinematography-based elements in his movies, which we'll get to in Barry Lyndon. Um, he had a grasp on cinematography, like I said here. He was very embarrassed of Fear and Desire, which we'll also get to, and Fear and Desire is definitely a movie to be embarrassed of. Um, Clockwork Orange was a seven-month shoot, um, and it was grueling, man. Malcolm McDowell dented his ribs, scratched his corneas, and got tonsillitis all while filming the movie. When he dented his ribs, that was in one of the scenes, I don't remember which off the top of my head, he scratched his corneas when they put the clamps on his eyes, and when they scratched his cornea, um, Kubrick was known to be a flaming perfectionist. Um, so, when he scratched his cornea, Kubrick said, and I quote, <clears throat> we'll just focus more on the other eye. Um, <laughs> And he was a harsh perfectionist genius, in the words of Tom Hanks. He would shoot sometimes 75 takes, um, or more, for just one scene. He once did 105 takes for something, and ended up using the second take that he filmed. Um, <laughs> he lived on a countryside with his wife, three daughters, and his dogs and cats. He was a big animal guy. Um... Almost everything was done in or within nine miles of his house, which I'll get to a lot on The Shining. Um, the government in A Clockwork Orange were supposedly equally as bad, if not worse, than Alex DeLarge in his mind. Um, it was banned for 20-plus years in the UK because uh, British people thought, hey, I can do that voice, and then they went out dressed up as Alex and his droogies and started raping people and killing people, and it didn't go very well, so then he plucked it at himself. Um, and Malcolm McDowell said something that I need to 
actually emphasize here. He said that violence is worse on the news or in a John Wayne film, but people are so blinded by the good old John Wayne, he's on the goody and he shoots the baddie. And he was that people are so blinded by that concept of him being the bad the him being the good guy and him killing the bad guy. But he says in those movies, they're just straight up shooting each other. Um But in this movie there is more of a psychological aspect to it. So realistically, what you see on the news as well, because people, rape is a real thing. It's not something made for fiction. So when you see on the news, blah, 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 there was a rape incident here, blah, 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 there was a murder incident here. And you see it all every day on the news. And for three hours, it is unacceptable. Um, and that was insane to me. Was, it was shocking. Because realistically, if you think about it, what you're seeing on the news, they're just going on and on about this person died, this person died, this person raped this person, this was a school shooting, they shot 25 children, and another 75 were injured, 80 are in the hospital. This kid lost a finger when he got shot in the hand, trying to protect his teacher, and you hear all of this. But then a movie that has one scene that involves rape that wasn't even that graphic after they edited it down to being rated R. But that's too much because it's like, I don't know, there's some kind of thing. There's got to be some logic somewhere that someone has for it. Because the MPAA is like, oh, a kid could access this, but a kid couldn't turn on the news channel. I don't know. It seems like weird to me. Um... Malcolm McDowell made a really good point there. Um, and one more that Tom Cruise said. Eyes Wide Shut was never about sex. If, <laughs> And I quote, If Kubrick wanted to make porn, he would, but he didn't. He made this movie to tell a story. Mic drop from the Scientologist himself. So, yeah. I recommend those endlessly, and this is going to be a couple weeks of me praising Stanley Kubrick, yes. Um, but he's amazing, he's magnificent, he deserves all the praise he can get. So, yeah, this is me, and this is Jagger signing. <laughs>